0: This is Get Closer, a podcast by the Geneva International Motor Show. In this episode, we get closer to Louis Delatraz, for whom the bug for competitive driving bit very early. His father, Jean-Denis Delatraz, might have something to do with it, being a former Formula One and endurance driver in the 90s. A father and son relationship that strengthened over soapbox races, building the vehicles together in the family garage with a plank of wood, four wheels, and anything that could serve as a steering wheel to drive down the hills. Old enough then for his father to race karting, 10-year-old Louis Delatraz went on to win two prestigious championships in his native Switzerland before successfully graduating to single-seater competition in 2012. In the following 10 years, Louis Delatraz moved into Formula Renault 2.0, Formula V8 3.5, Formula 2, and joined Team WRT to compete in the European Le Mans series. Definitely an upgrade from a wooden cart built in his garage.
1: Hello, Louis Delatraz. Thank you for joining us.
0: Hello, thanks for having me.
1: Now, I know you've been very busy recently, but I want to take you way back, right back to the beginning, because... I know that you had a really unusual start in motorsport, didn't you?
2: Yes, true. Basically, my father didn't want me to race karting before I was 10 years old because thought it was too dangerous. So I started with Soapbox, which Soapbox is a pretty simple motorsport where you go downhill with no engine. So indeed, I think not many drivers started with this and quite late in a way compared to the drivers now.
1: And what sort of age were you when you started?
2: Uh, from 8 to 10. Because the funny story is when I just RF to 10 or something, one of the races, we had this kind of a high-tech soapbox, and we took 86 kph down and I rolled. I had a crash, I rolled, and my father was scared. He said, okay, now it's too dangerous. We were guarding.
1: <laughs> so, for the listeners who don't know about soapbox... Can you tell us a little bit more about it and what type of vehicle it is?
2: Basically, if you look at it this way, you go in your garage. The rule is you have a plank of wood and four wheels and something to turn and you go downhill. And the idea is to go from bottom from top to bottom as fast as possible. And that was the first thing. So we did it with my dad in the in the garage in the winter. We went to our first races. It's just hills basically in Switzerland. I'm sure there is all over the world. And yeah, you, you race. But then you arrive and you realize that, wow, uh, the others have uh, better wheels, better wood thicker wood, more, more heavy because you would put faster if you are heavier. <laughs> it's very interesting.
1: Were you successful in your soapbox career?
2: Uh, well, successful, I don't remember exactly. We won a couple races, yes, But it was especially an amazing time with my dad. And also, I in a way, I learned a bit of mechanical stuff because okay, it's not a car at all. But you still built it yourself. So it was super experience.
1: You obviously have a really good relationship with your dad. And talking about him, it's lovely to hear your relationship. Do you think you idolized him when you were growing up and watching his career?
2: I think you always do with your dad, especially when we share this passion. Obviously, same with my mother, you know, it's it's my parents. I love them and they've been a lot for me in my whole career. But having my dad in motorsport helped me a lot and you always want to be as good as your dad and that you want to try to be better so we have an amazing relationship and I'm very thankful for what he did for me
1: well I can hear that that relationship with your dad and with your whole family is really important to your own career
2: as well right very very important I mean the first of all the support of a family in, in the sport is very important having my dad that knew as well motorsport avoided me a lot of uh, of problems a lot of uh, in a way you always have you know it's a shark world the people can also try to take advantage of you and he always will protect me he has my best benefits in mind and having his experience experience alongside and his also love is, uh, is a big help
1: and it's also nice to have someone to share that passion with isn't
2: it absolutely and you know you have good days bad days there's managers as well but uh you know your dad will always be here and he will always normally not do anything against you and uh, he always told me there is a uh, probably five percent of uh, joy in motorsport and 95 percent disappointment we got lucky lately but uh, you need to enjoy those moments and having them around my family in general is great to share and i feel lucky
1: So you started in soapbox and then you moved on to karting. So was it a given
2: that you were going to pursue a career in motorsports? Absolutely not. My dad never pushed me to race he always said okay if you if i want to do it i will i will do it but um he didn't want his son to be a race driver and my mom was scared so it was first thing and then they were just open-minded started soapbox, went quite well had this crash which was a bit crazy i had nothing didn't get injured went karting only in switzerland went well And knew we took it year by year won the championship and then went to single seater and then suddenly i was in formula 2 and tested a formula one so it went quite quick in between
1: how do you look back to your single seater debut i
2: look at me, I mean, with no regrets, I'm uh, I'm very happy of, of what I achieved and what I learned there. My only regret maybe is in Formula 2 a bit where my first year was a disaster. We had made a mistake. We joined the wrong team. The year was uh, the worst year I had motorsport. And this probably killed a bit the momentum I had because I, I, I basically won everything before. In uh, one races ever, finished in top two in the championships, had a super license, and then kind of stalled in Formula Two. Still managed to get my super license to get a Formula One test. But yeah, I didn't go to Formula One for many different reasons. There's the political side, the money side, and I didn't win Formula Two. But I have no regret. I tried everything and I think I've been competitive and people saw it and now I'm in endurance. And I think yeah, we can see it's going quite well. So uh, no regrets.
1: Now we'll touch on Formula One in a bit, but tell us about your 2016. 2016- Formula V8 3.5. Because that was an incredible season, wasn't it? Rookie of the year, your first full season, battling for the championship right the way down to that final round. Tell us more about that.
2: Yeah, 2016 was a great year. It was a breakthrough. Basically, I just switched from Formula Renault 2 leader to, to World Series V8, which was at that time, the names were complicated. But World Series, the 2016 year, same car as Formula 2, pretty much. There was two series that could bring you to F1 was this one and GP2 at the time. And I arrived there and I was in a great team that supported me a lot. And yeah, we we basically fought from race one for pole position victories and till the last round we could have won the championship. We finished second three points behind the, the champion and who was much more experienced and rookie champion. It gave me my super license. It gave me uh, also big uh, credit in the paddock with the junior teams with F1 teams and put me in the radar for for F1. That year was big and I will for sure always remember.
1: What do you think you lacked for Formula 1?
2: Well, I think at some point I can clearly say money because uh, at some point, now not anymore, I mean much less, but money was very important and it's still in Formula 1. So there was a 2 seat available and yeah, the one with the more money got it. Uh, I think at that level we're all good you know there is no bad drivers anymore in the top 10 of Formula 2 and again it's I don't say it in a bad way it's always been like this in all sports Um, I, I didn't have a big sponsor enough which I think in Switzerland is a shame because we have a few big big companies but it's, it's how it is and then there was also political I wasn't I think due to 2017 as well in the right path there's always younger and better drivers coming up it was a, a bit of everything the stars weren't aligned for me I would say and uh, yeah that's how it is but you know there's only 26 and maybe one per year available and then if you're not having everything for you at that time, then Formula 1 is, is not that achievable anymore.
1: And what did you learn from that experience?
2: Uh, as a young driver, it's very disappointing because you feel cheated on when it's about money. And again, I don't want to only talk money. It's like, it's not an excuse. It's not everything in the sport. And as I said, I didn't win Formula 2 and it's not the reason of everything. But when you're young, you don't understand that. They ask you crazy amount of money to go to Formula 1. You're like, well, I, I will never be able to achieve it. So you, you feel a bit cheated by the system because you work so hard for this. And what you learn is anyway, just don't give up keep pushing and there's always um if you do the right things and you're honest you you will go somewhere of course it's your quick because in the end that's everything that people want and that's why i decided to switch to endurance because after four years in f2 there was no space for me there and what you need to know is formula 2 you don't earn money you're not paid you're not a professional driver you you are you do all the works of professional professional driver but you're not actually one yet so you cannot make your living out of f2 you have to go either f1 or endurance or else
1: now speaking about endurance do you think this discipline is designed for the Swiss?
2: <laughs> yeah, we have many amazing Swiss uh, endurance racing driver. I mean, general racing driver. I don't know if it's designed especially for Swiss people. It's a bit, uh, I don't know what makes us good there. But indeed with Marcel Tassler, Buimi and I mean, by that as well, you have uh, a few Neil Jani, a few big names and uh, successful names because it's not only they're in endurance, it's, they want everything. So I'm, I'm glad uh, to try to follow up.
1: Like Bwemi that you just mentioned, Le Mans twenty one escapes you on that final lap. What was that like? How, like, how is it to cope with something like that?
2: Well, yeah, Le Mans twenty one was, um, to be honest, it's heartbreaking, and I still think about it often, very often. Uh, when you lead Le Mans for twenty four or fifty eight minutes, it's the last lap, and you know you, your car stops for no reason on track. You just cannot believe it, and I remember everything second by second of the were in the garage, all the cameras were there. It was my first lemon LMP2, second overall. First limo of Robert Kubisa, who was my teammate, and we were about to win it. it. It was huge. And then you look the screens, camera, Marshall come to you, they give you the caps. They say, okay, that's the procedure for the podium. You will go right here, left, and we bring you up, uh, the trophies. And I just didn't want to hear that. And Robert left. He said, I, "I, we didn't cross the line, I leave. I was the only one listening to this. And then the car stopped. I saw it on TV and I had no words. You cannot believe that why now? Why after so long? I'd rather it break 10 hours before so at least I can sleep and, and not have to do the whole race for, not, in a way, nothing. But um, it was terrible. And, and, you know, the first set, one week I couldn't sleep. I just kept thinking about it. Why us? Why did we lose Le Mans? Le Mans is the biggest war race in the world and you'd maybe never have a chance again to win.
1: And the craziest part is that the next morning, the car was fine, wasn't it?
2: Yes. So basically, we had no idea. There was many things in the press about uh, what happened to us. There was rumors about throttle sensor broken or some suspension and stuff, which we always said, no, it's not true. We didn't actually know what happened. car went to Park Fermé because it never made it back to the start-finish. So they had to push it. And it means that we didn't quite classify we finished 52nd or something. And uh, it was overnight in the Park Fermé. Monday morning, I get a text on my phone from my mechanic. The car started. And I was like, oh, oh. How can it start? It never restarted for for six hours. The car started, we just pressed the button, it started. And um, we think that there was some water in the cockpit. I mean, we know there was some water. It dried up overnight and the car was fine again. So it just drove, next day, no issue. It needed a few parts to be changed because it had 24 hours, but there was nothing broken, which is even crazier. Why couldn't the the water wait one more lap to to stop it? Or why could this glitch not happen later? It's insane when you think. It's like someone pressed a red button to to kill it.
1: And so... What do you do? Like, how do you get through that mentally?
2: You, you just don't have a choice. The next race is ne- the two weeks after. Luckily, Le Mans was not part of the championship for ELMS mess so Otherwise, we would have lost a lot of points. And uh, yeah, we went to, to Spa. We had to. We could win the championship, I think, straight after. So you have to think ahead to push and not look back. And luckily, we won the championship, which makes it maybe a bit less sore. But still, losing Le Mans like this, uh, I think Seb had it and we spoke about it it's awful he wanted three times in between uh, maybe four now but i didn't so i need to uh, i have credit lemar always me now
1: haven't robert kubitza promised you something else earlier that year
2: yeah it's true um robert um, <clears throat> and me i became very good friends and basically he taught me a lot about rally and i i mean you know rally and endurance and any driving is very different i mean i've never done it but i, I respect so much what they do and he has still his own uh, wrc car from the past and he told me yeah, if we win Le Mans, it was a bet like like this if we win Le Mans you can try the car and he would take me also for a ride and I was really excited and 15 minutes before the end we were sitting watching our teammate Yefay in the car finishing and we were leading by 40 seconds and I told him well seems like uh I might try a WRC car obviously I spoke a bit too quick so yeah it was a funny story now not that funny at the time.
1: so were the 2022 successes revenge
2: do you feel um yes Especially that we did it um, with with Robert, I mean, in the car again, because I I really said he's an amazing person. I didn't know him. I was a bit scared of the ex-F1 driver to be as my teammate, especially after everything he went through. And the first race we did together, I think we we matched so well. And I have so much respect for him. It's incredible. And uh, yeah, to be able to go back to Le Mans, start the first lap, I mean... We went to Super Bowl, first lap of the race leading because he had an amazing start. So we finished 21 leading, we started 22 leading, both time with new teams. We were fighting for the victory the whole time and finished second overall in LMP2. Uh, was a revenge, I would say. Uh, it's not the victory, but something we're very proud of.
1: What? opportunities to signing with a team backed by a manufacturer
2: open up. As a driver, as I said, in Formula 2 and stuff, you're a lot more professional. You live your dream, but you are you you just want F1. Moving to endurance was important because that's where you can be professional and that's where, I mean, we all aim. In the end, it's my passion, but it's also my work. And yeah, going with Acura for next year and, and the future is, which is basically Honda in, in US. It's a huge program. It's a huge manufacturer. They have a big ambition to to win. We drove the car already with the hybrid. It's, it's very interesting and it changes uh, everything. Uh, I mean, I'm young, I'm 25. So to be in such a program already now and, and I think yeah, they're very loyal people. So if, if things goes well, it can be long and I hope we can achieve a lot of success. So for me, it's where I wanted to be, where I always aim to be. And uh, I'm, I'm very proud and happy to be here.
1: Yeah. And so you just mentioned it, you're 25. Where do you see yourself in the world of motorsport over the next... 25 years.
2: 25 years is, is very far. Um, Hopefully still behind a, a, a race car drive. I mean, still in a race car and wishing to, to win races. But yeah, normally, I guess at 45 is where you, you stop driving. We never know. Maybe I could be special and do more. But uh, yeah, I hope still in the motorsport world. I hope by, by that time I'd won Le Mans and Daytona a few times and championships, the big races, having the chance to drive those amazing cars because we need to remind that um, prototypes and the new hypercar rules, the LMDH, which racing is the top of the top, the, the technology and how fast those cars are are amazing. I mean, no offense to GT. I love GTs as well, but they're much quicker and much closer to a Formula 1 than, I mean, it's the next best thing you can drive probably. So uh, I hope I can stay in those programs competitive, big, and obviously with budget because it's the sad truth of motorsport. If you don't have a, a team with, with budget, then it's, it's a lot harder. And then we can we can win a lot and I will find my way in motorsport maybe after looking in a team or, or organizing something. I hope I can, yeah, still be there by then.
1: Okay. So, quick question. What's your favorite road car?
2: Oof, uh, if you give me a bit no budget limit, I will have more than one. This, this for sure. Uh, I will have big garage. The favorite sports cars or real hypercar, I would say LaFerrari and uh, otherwise uh, a McLaren P1. I think those two are cars that I was pretty much, I think, 18 when they came out, 18, 19 years old, and just got my driving license and it's something I would buy straight away. I had the chance to try LaFerrari. It was not disappointing at all with a thousand horsepower you you'll feel a bit of uh, it's more than a race car so it's quite crazy and then perfect garage you'll probably get a yeah, big SUV maybe a Lamborghini SUV or Audi Q8 or something practical for every day because yeah going skiing with LFR is probably not, not the best and I'm Swiss you know so I need to, to ski. <laughs> yeah
1: fair enough and if you hadn't gone into racing what do you think you'd have gone into?
2: Uh My other always like thing that I love is uh, warplanes or army planes, which um, are for me very impressive. Another cockpit then, basically. Yeah, exactly. Another cockpit, another cockpit, another close thing and something very fast, adrenaline. I don't know if I would have liked to be in the army because it's not like my thing, war and stuff like this. I'm, I'm not especially interested by that or especially uh, my topic, but I love the technology and obviously those planes are amazing, everything they can do. So I think I would have done that.
1: And what's your favorite racetrack?
2: I scored a few this year. In Europe, you have always the standard ones, the uh, Spa, and Silverstone, which for me are amazing, especially with Force car, where you have those long corners and you really feel, and you really have to push the limits. And in US, what I love this year is that there's no track limit topic. The track is the track, and there's the white line, a curve that is too high to use. And if you use the curve, probably you end up in the grass and the wall that is a meter away. There is no no margin, no no issue for track limit. It's like the driver pushes to the limit, and if you make a mistake, you pay for it. And in Petit Le Mans, it's something I uh, I really enjoyed this year. Uh, obviously, also walking land because it's very fast it's an amazing track i had no idea i just came there without testing first time for for racing and uh, i discovered a kind of european style track with the boundaries of, of u.s and you need to respect it because if you don't respect the track you will probably yeah, as i say end up in the wall and there, there's punishment also the atmosphere there with all the campings and i mean it's similar in many places in u.s but the how the fans act and how the event is done i really enjoyed it
1: and if you were to do another discipline what What other disciplines would you like to dip your toe into, do you think?
2: I would be open to try Formula E. Uh, I'm not yet the biggest fan of the cars because I think for now they're not as fast as what we run in, in endurance or in, in single-seater. But obviously that's due to the te- new technology and it's when you see how much they're improving every year. Now they're at Gen 3 with cars. sound like they have a lot of more power and they just maybe need a bit more mechanical grip. But this I'm sure will come in, in the future We race cars, uh, normal race cars for more, much longer than, than Formula E. So I would like to, to try and... and um, I mean, at least discover because I'm someone who's very open-minded to, to drive everything. And IndyCar. IndyCar is the next next thing in single City after F1. Uh, it's huge in US and the cars look great. So that's one of the things I, I didn't do. So uh, I would be uh, very keen to to try. So if any IndyCar team hears this, I will come here and call me.
1: Well, thank you very much, Louis Delatraz. It's been a pleasure speaking to
2: you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It was, it was a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Get Closer by the Geneva International Motor Show, a podcast where influential personalities from the automotive landscape share their passion. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe to this series on your favorite podcast platform.